this week's parasha, Chaye Sarah, is, um, has got really three stories to it. The first and the third story have a lot in common. The, story, this, the text opens up with the death of Sarah, but the purpose of that entire parasha is to tell us the story of Avram's purchase of the cave at Machpelah and the field of Machpelah where Sarah is buried. The end of the parasha has Avraham himself marrying again, having a bunch of kids, and then finally dying at the age of 175 and getting buried in Marat HaMachpelah. So those two match, and that and the parasha ends with the death of Ishmael. So the beginning and the end of the parasha really are death and burial. But the middle of the parasha is the opposite. It's about marriage, and it's, um, or as I like to say from one of my favorite movies, it's about marriage, which is what brings us here today. Um, and uh, and it's a very famous scene of the slave going to find a wife for Yitzchak, and he finds Rivka. We're all familiar with the story. And in previous, and last year, I believe we took a look at uh, the use of the word Eved versus Ish, and how it follows Rivka's point of view. And the whole time, she thinks that she's actually marrying this guy, doesn't know he's representing somebody else. Fascinating story and approach in and of itself. But I want to take a look at a detail that shows up at the very beginning of the parsha, which is just weird. It's just I have no other word for it, but it's weird. And we'll take a look at it and see how this weirdness was approached by the various Rishonim. And um, we're going to see a very interesting historic footnote in this. Uh, and then I'm going to propose something else as to understanding it. All right, it starts out as well. This is the wedding story, the, as they call it, the wooing of Rebecca. We have Rahamza Kane, Bab Bayamim. You have it on top of the page. Avra is old. Baba Yamim is a biblical idiom, literally means coming in his days, but it's a way of saying that he's about to die, or at least he thinks he's about to die. And so what does he do? He's got to put his affairs in order. And as a footnote, Hashem blessed Avram in every which way. Avram is wealthy. Avram has got the son that was promised. Avram has got all these other children uh, that we're going to hear about later, but Avram has got all this wealth. And Avram finally has a piece of land in Israel. He's got everything. So Avram summons his elder servant. This guy's not an old guy, but he's the senior servant in the house, or the senior slave in the house, who runs everything. So he's sort of like a CFO of sorts. Uh, and he says to him, This is the weird thing, and that's why I put it in red text with the outline, with the highlight. Put your hand now under my thigh. It's just a weird statement to make. Put your hand under my thigh. And then he says, And I will administer an oath by the God of heaven, the God of earth. And what's the oath? The oath is the details we're not going to worry about, which is that you will not take a wife free Yitzchak from one of the local girls. Rather, you'll go back to the Alterheim. The, the slave says, what if she refused to go? Should I bring Yitzhak there? He says, absolutely not. God will help you and he'll bring you back. And he'll, he'll ma- make sure that you're able to bring her. And if not, then you're free you're off the hook. I put all that in small print because that's not my concern. My concern is not the content of the oath. It's the form of the oath. And then the last pasuk in this scene is, The Eved puts his hand underneath the thigh of Abraham, his master. He takes an oath to this effect. Okay. So the, the most obvious question is, what's up with putting the hand under the thigh? 
That's just a weird thing. Uh, the second thing, which is a detail in that, is is putting the hand under the thigh part of the oath, or is it a preface to the oath? Because you notice he says, put your hands under the thigh and I'll administer an oath. And in the second thing, it says, and I changed the color, that he put his hand under it and he took the oath. So is putting the hand part of the oath, meaning put your hand under and while your hand's there, take the oath? Or is it somehow a, two different things I'm asking you to do that are maybe only ten, or only incidentally related to each other? We don't know. I mean, is it, uh, is it uh, tantamount to today putting one's hand on a Bible when could taking be. an oath? Certainly could be, which would mean, of course, that it is not the same as taking an oath. You can put our hands on a Tanakh right now and you're not taking an oath, you can also take an oath without putting your hand on the Bible. So it means that maybe they're two separate actions which together form what he wants. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely good. And we're going to see, by the way, a, a similar approach, a, a popular approach that equates it to what you just said. Now, this same scene shows up one time in all of Tanakh. In all of Tanakh, we have somebody putting his hand under somebody else's thigh and taking an oath. And it's right here in Brashit, but it's at the other end of Brashit. Well, we're not at one end, but it's at the other end of Brashit, at the back end. Yaakov is about to die. He summons his son, Yosef. If I find favor in your eyes, and if you're agreeable, Sim na yadcha tachat yerechi. This is exactly the same words. Sim na yadcha tachat yerechi. And he doesn't say take an oath. He says, Vasita imadi chesed bemet, and do an act of kindness for me. I'll not take bringing me time. Do not bury me in Egypt. And then Yaakov says, Vayomi shavali, take an oath to me that you'll do it. Vayishavalo, and he takes the oath. Vayishavalo, and that's the end of the scene. Okay. So we see this happen in two places. Avraham has his slave put his hand under the thigh and take the oath. Yaakov has Yosef put his hand on, on, under the thigh and he takes the oath. Notice that in the, and this may not be relevant, in the Yaakov-Yosef scene, the two things are disjointed. And he says, put your hand under the thigh and promise you'll do this. And when Yaakov says, I promise, he says, take an oath. Whereas here with, this, with the, uh, the Avraham and the slave, the two are tied together in both cases. It says, put your hand on the thigh and take an oath. And then it says, he put his hand on the thigh and he took an oath. But it may not be, it may not be a relevant thing. Before we get started on looking at how the Rishonim understand this, this action, this ceremony, this uh, behavior, um, which shows up again only twice in all of Tanakh, but it raises eyebrows and everybody comments on it because, like I said, it's just plain weird. There is one other mention of the thigh in Breshit, which seems to be absolutely unrelated. And that is in this scene where Yaakov wrestles with a guy in the middle of the night. Yaakov is alone at night after having brought his wives and his children and his animals all across the Yabok Wadi. And now he's alone. And in the middle of the night, some man comes out of nowhere and wrestles with him. We later learn this man is a malach. And the man sees that he can't beat Yaakov. He can't best him. He touches the ball socket of his thigh. And it gets disjointed. Very famous scene. Yaakov is lame. We're all familiar with that. 
Is this relevant? At this point, it's absolutely relevant. I brought it in because I needed to fill two pages and I wanted to put a pasuk in about the five. Just kidding. But at this point, we'll leave it be. We're going to come back to it. Okay. Let's take a look at what the Rishonim have to say. And you're going to be surprised. I hope you're surprised. Because I was surprised looking through this. How the Rishonim interpret this action. By the way, everybody comments on it in Art Story and in by by in by by at the beginning of Yechi, when Yaakov has Yosef do it, they all reference back and say, "I already explained it in in Chayisar." Yeah, go look there. So we're looking at all of it local. Aside to Gaon, we're going to do this in chronological order. We're not doing all the Rishonim, but we're covering almost all the approaches here, including, as I said, one interesting uh, historic footnote, um, and. Um, and other Rishonim, for the most part, will say the same thing as one or two of these. And by the way, a number of them suggest multiple explanations, which tells you it's really a mystery. Right? So now, take a look. Rav Sadiqon starts out as follows. Some people say that there was a ceremony like that. As you read in last week's parsha. When Avram and Avimelech made a brit, Avram gave Avimelech seven lambs, and that was the brit. Eid Hagal When Yaakov separates from Avan at the end of Ayetze, they set up a pile of rocks, and the pile of rocks is testimony to their to their agreement. Edam That's the most prominent one, which is that in Yumiyal Lanadalad, famous story about the people cutting a calf in two and walking between the two halves of the calf, like Bripen and Batarim, and making an agreement that they would let their slaves go after six years. That's the whole parsha in Yirmiyahu. Right, that, um, uh, sorry, that's at the end of, of uh, how do you call it, of, um, of Yoshua, when Yoshua puts up a rock standing there after the people committed fealty to God, he says, this is a testimony. So he says, maybe the hand under the thigh was some sort of a Near Eastern practice at the time, just like all these other weird things. Okay? Vacherim Omrim. Now you're going to see other Rishonim pick up on that. Vacherim Omrim. He said, there's another approach. What? Shetachat Yerechi Mechuvan L'makoma Yishtachaviyah V'akriyah V'atfilah. He says, there's another explanation here, which is that Put your hand under my thigh doesn't mean put your hand under my thigh. It means put your hand on the place that my thigh sits and bows in shul. Evidently, there was a practice. By the way, this is both a Jewish and a Muslim practice that Saidu was familiar with in Iraq. That people would take an oath by touching the place where the zakain, where the elder sat in shul. He would put his hand on the seat of the zakain and take an oath. So he says, maybe what it meant was the slave was to put his hand not under Avram's thigh, which is, like I said, pretty weird and a little bit of an interesting personal space problem, but to put it on the spot where Avram bows when he worships God, because that's a holy spot. So if Sadi brings two explanations, one is really put your hand under there and it's some sort of a local custom, and the other is a way of making an agreement. And the other is that maybe it's this religious idea of touching not the thigh, but the place the thigh hits the ground when he bows. 
But Rav Sadia says, I think what this was, was that he took the oath, and what he did was he touched the milah, meaning the Brit milah of Abraham, and that that's what this means. Tachet Yerichi is a nice way of saying the genitalia. Now, that sounds really strange until you look at Rashi. Rashi says this as the only explanation. Tachet Yerichi, and he gives the background. When you take an oath, you have to hold on to an object of mitzvah. Now this gets back to Kurt, what you were saying about putting your hand on the Bible. In the Beitin, if you take a Shvudoraita, you have to have what's called Nikitat Chefet. So you have to hold on to a, an item that has inherent Kedusha. And that's something that has God's name in it. Sefer Torah, Tefillin, Mezuzah. Hold on to it. And take the oath. Brit Milah was not only the first, it was the only mitzvah that Avram got that was unique to him. Plus, it was obviously a lot of pain that he endured. So he was very proud of this mitzvah. So he said, I want you to hold on to my mitzvah and make this oath. Now, that, of course, is... Like I said, very strange and off-putting. By the way, it is the one that Rapsadia subscribed to also. But it's not the end of the, of the story because we have a page two. The Rashbam. Rashi's grandson comes along and has a different take. And he takes, and you got to remember that the only other occasion of this is Yosef Tiakov. Yosef. Same thing with Yosef. He points out the fact that the two cases we have are a son to a father and a slave to a master. He says that's how the lower would make a commitment to the upper, to the master. Because putting your hand under the thigh looks like you're a, a statement, a demonstration of servitude. I am your servant. You're sitting on my hands. And just in case you're bothered by equating the relationship between a son and a father and a slave and a master, we have the pasuk in Malachi, that a son honors his father, a slave honors his master, and God says, but where is my kavod? The two are equated. Aval, and here's where he's going to disagree with uh, with the first approach of Sadia, and later you'll see it in the Bechor Shor, Shaking hands, which is what we do. Or cutting something in the half. And walk in between. That's between two equals. In other words, he says, this is not the sign of a regular agreement. This is the sign of servitude and obeisance. A regular agreement, which involves shaking hands, involves signing a contract, involves cutting something in two and walking between it, like the two parts of the calf, we read about that's among peers and not necessarily when there is a uh, liege um, ruler kind of relationship. All right, that's the Rashban. So far, we've seen four different explanations. Uh, with that, yeah, that, that sounds more like an agreement or a contract between two people as opposed to an oath that someone's providing. Exactly. Yeah. Which means now we have, so, so let's take a look in light of what you just asked. The first approach, I'm saying first because both Rashi and Sadia's favorite one is Brit Milah, means 
This is an inextricable part of the oath. You've taken the oath, you have to hold on to something that's related to the oath. Then the two are one piece, right? The oath without this and is, is not strong enough, and this without the oath is nothing. That's A. And that's why I asked at the beginning, are these two separate pieces or not? According to the first approach of the of the uh, of Rav Sadi Gaon, um, this is separate from the oath in that if you put your hands under the thigh and you make this agreement, then the agreement is now solved like shaking hands. It's the way you should make an agreement. In addition, he wants them to take the oath to strengthen the agreement. Um, the the Rashbam says this is actually a sign of servitude. In which case, the oath is a separate thing. I want you to be in a pose of servitude when you make the oath, but it's separate things. Okay. Now we're not done. The Ibn Ezra. And by the way, this is, uh, this is a, a clue. If you ever want to know if a passage is simple or not simple, the simplest thing is open up the Mikrogudalot. Look at the page. If the page has mainly text and a few little comments, it's a simple text, straightforward text, nothing too complex. If on the other hand, you have one line of text and all the commentary means it's a very difficult line to understand, which is why everybody comments on it and everybody disagrees on what it means. And sometimes the commentaries themselves will provide several approaches. In some cases, the several approaches will be, you could say this, you could say that, you could say this, or they'll be like we already saw. Some say this, this is why they're wrong. Some say that, that's why they're wrong. Here's another thing. But multiple approaches indicates complexity and and somewhat uh, opaqueness of the text. So we move ahead to the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra, Rabbi Avram ben Meir, Ibn Ezra of Spain, 11th, 12th century, 11th, 12th century. Um, although, by the way, he wrote all of his commentaries after he left Spain and traveled. So just to let you know, and he wrote his commentaries, by the way, and this you'll find, find unusual. What language did Rosadi go and write his commentaries? Anybody know? He wrote his commentaries in Arabic, in Arabic, because that was the language that they wrote it. Um, the Ibn Ezra grew up in Muslim Spain, and everything he wrote as a young person was in Arabic. But he started writing his commentaries when he started traveling, and he wrote all of his commentaries in Hebrew. And part of what he tried to do was sort of take a mission, was to explain to the people outside of Spain that you cannot understand Tanakh if you don't understand grammar. Because grammar really has its beginnings in Muslim Spain. And so he became enamored of it, and he was convinced that the only way to properly understand that's why so many comments of the Ibn Ezra are related to, to grammar. Not in our case, but you know, about what, the, what the, the root of the word is, and what the, um, the causative, how the causative impacts on it, etc. Right, take a look. Tachat Yerechi, he says, Amru remez lamila. So he quotes earlier people who said, this is alluding to the mila, and Tachat Yerechi is like a euphemistic way of saying mila. But then he disagrees. Then he should have taken the oath and mentioned the mila. I think what it is, the law in those days, to put your hand under the thigh of somebody in under whose uh, dominion you work. If you really are my slave, put your hand under my thigh. 
And the, ma- the master is sitting and his thighs are on this guy's hands. What's the reason? That the slave is demonstrating, you're sitting on me, which means I am obeisant to you. And therefore, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Which is very similar to the Rashbam. As I said, the Ibn Ezra traveled a lot. And he met people traveling. He never got to India. But he tells us several stories of people who traveled to India in the 11th century and tell us what they encountered. He said in India, they still have this practice that you put your hand under the Raj and the Raj makes us, you make the commitment to him. And putting your hand under his thighs is a way of showing that you are totally accepting what he has to say. Parenthetically, there are some modern scholars, I don't have the sources here, but some modern scholars who maintain something similar, but they point to the fact that Avraham is Zakain and that Yaakov is talking about his own funeral, that what these two stories have in common is they are people who think they're about to die. And in Yaakov's case, it's pretty close. And the thing they're asking to have done will take place after they die. In Yaakov's place, by definition, because where you're buried is after you die. And in Avram's case, he's convinced he's, that by the time Yaakov, it's like gets married, he won't be around. And so therefore, he's symbolically saying, put your hands under my thigh because I'm totally depending on you. Which, by the way, is the reverse of the Ibn Ezra. It's not that you're putting your hand in thigh to demonstrate that you're my slave. It's I'm sitting on your hands to show that I'm totally dependent on you. Because what I'm asking you to do is something I won't be around to check. Interesting take. All right, now let's take a look at the Bechor Shor. Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, Rabbi Yosef of Orleans, 12th century. He was a student of Rabbi Tam. He's become popular really in the last couple decades. Uh, and his commentary has been published. Really delightful, delightful stuff. But parenthetically, if, if you... Um, I don't, uh, it, um, a, uh, an old colleague of mine who I, I knew a little bit, Dr. Abigail Rock, passed away a couple of years ago, um, uh, tragically, at a very young age of cancer. So, so she had written a book before she died on an introduction, an overview of commentators to Torah. It's a beautiful book, a fantastic book. And it finally came out uh, a year ago, about around after her first year at site. Um, and it is in Hebrew. However, it came out first as a series of articles on the VBM in English. So if you're interested, send me an email. I'll send you a link. It's great stuff. And she talks about the Bechor Shor there also. She introduced a little biography, his methodology. It's, it's really well written. Um, in any case, he says, Their custom was, and by the way, notice how many people here are kicking on anthropology saying, this is the custom in those days. He says, they would put their hand under the thigh whenever they would make an agreement or take an oath. Just like we shake hands. That's like Sadegaon's second take. The Gamish, the Faresh, notice, I'm not happy with that, so I'm going to give another one. Again, this is so weird that everybody's got a few different takes and they talk about the other ones, and either they say maybe and maybe something else, or they reject it and say something else. Put your hand and your trust under my feet. To be my servant, meaning enslaved to me. And to be under my legs for this purpose. 
that you will do what it is that's going to be in this oath. Meaning, he's saying, I'm not really asking you to put your hand there. It's a figurative phrase. He says, Avram was not asking him to actually put his hand under his thigh. He's saying it's a figurative phrase in which say, be in my employ, be in my under my dominion, and do what you're going to what you're going to commit to. Interesting take. And then he says, meaning in the Agada, we have the thing about Milah. Everybody, one way or the other, mentions this thing about Milah, but most of them are shown, as you see, don't buy it. And then he says, I told you an historic, interesting historic footnote. Vahaminin Omri. Minim means the early Christians. He says that the church fathers evidently had an interpretation of this scene as follows. Now, why does the Bechor Shor care about this? So this is the interesting historic footnote. Bechor Shor lives in 12th century France. 11th and 12th century France sees a renaissance, and it's called the Renaissance of the 12th century. That's what's referred to in some circles. Sees a renaissance of an interest in Pshat, meaning in Christian circles, they start trying to reassess the text of the Bible and interpret the text instead of totally being taken up with homilies and with lessons you can gain from it, but actually learning the text. And this Pshat revolution or renaissance either started with or then impacted on somebody that you know very well by the name of Rashi. And this is where the Rashi school of, of Pshat study gets started. And so the Christians are also doing this. But the big problem for us is the Christians are doing this and then they're interpreting things in their way and they're interpreting them and then bringing them to us and saying, see, in Brashid it says, and you can foretell Jesus is coming. And so the rabbis, starting with Rashi, had to deal with this. And Rabbeinu Tam and the Rashbam and the Bechor Shor and others, they all had to deal with Jewish Christian polemics and being able to respond to their claims about what the Torah says and how the Torah foretells, uh, etc., their whole story. So Bechor Shor quotes what they say, and then he's going to refute it. So here he says, He said, the reason that the slave put his hand on Avraham's milah is because that's where Yeshu came from. Of course, many, 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 many generations later. And so you take an oath, like, because that's holy. So he says, okay, very nice, but let's think about it. According to their story, she, his mother was never impregnated by a man. In other words, your whole theory contradicts your whole belief. Right? They should have taken an oath by touching a woman's uterus. Right? All right, so that's his, but he, he's doing it, he's not doing it for fun, he's doing it because there really are Jews who Christians' neighbors are talking to and saying, see right here in your reading of Genesis 24, you see that it hints to the coming, so he says, so he says, here's your, how you answer him. I thought, according to you guys, Jesus didn't have a, male, a human father, where's it coming from? Okay, um, Radak, this is the last one we'll look at is the Rishonim, and then I'll suggest something else. The Radak says as follows, Rabbeinu David Kimchi, of uh, of Spain and then Provence, 1300s, famous Kimchi family. There was a phrase, Imen Kimchi in Torah. Without the Kimchi family, there's no Torah. 
What does he say? Amru. The custom was when you command somebody else to do something. The way that it was sealed was by putting your hand under the thigh. We've seen this already in Rafsadia. We've seen this in Ibn Ezra and the Bechor Shor. Just like my hand is now under your thigh, so you have control over it. Similarly, I'll be under your domain. So this is expanding on, on the servitude motif, the Rashbam motif. But he's, unlike the Rashbam, he says, this was how anybody made a breach with a fellow, so with a peer. And he quotes the thing with Yaakov. Again, everybody's got to quote this Midrash about the Milah. But everybody who doesn't like it, which is everybody except the Rashi and the and Sadia, refutes it. He quotes like the Ibn Ezra. He says, then he should have said, I'll take, you, I'll take an oath by this mitzvah. Instead, he, take, he said, I'll take an oath by God. So he mentions the Milah thing, just like the Ibn Ezra did, just like the Yosef B'chor Shor did, and just like the Rashbah, the, uh, um, right, and, and uh, B'chor Shor, but he refutes it. Okay, I'd like to suggest that there may be a whole different way to look at this thing. What is the thigh? What is the thigh? So, the thigh in Tanakh is perhaps most notably, the human thigh is most notably the place where you keep your weapons. We'll start off with source 10. There's a famous story about Ehud ben Gera. Ehud ben Gera is a shofet from Binyamin, who, at the very beginning of Sefer Shoftim, Gimel, he's the one who, if you remember, gets a private audience with Eglon, the super fat, he's the super me king. Um, of Moab, and Eglon trusts him, big mistake, and Ehud takes out his double-edged sword, thrusts it into Eglon's stomach, and it gets so, he's so fat, his sword gets lost in his stomach. It's a a double-edged dagger. Now, how does Ehud sneak this dagger in? Very simply, Ehud is a lefty, which is interesting because of Meshavit bin Yamin. There's something there. He's a lefty. And so where does he put his, his, um, his dagger? Al Yerech Yemino. He puts it on his right thigh. When people come into the king, they frisk their left thigh to make sure they don't have a, a knife there. They don't think to check the right thigh because nobody's a lefty. Nobody would keep their dagger on the right side. But that's where you put it, on your left, on your thigh. You take a look in Shashirim. There's a description of, however we understand it, there's a description of soldiers guarding Shlomo's bed. And how are they described? As Achuzei Cherev, they're holding onto a sword. Ish Harbo Al Yerecho, with each man with his sword on his thigh. And in Tehillim, in one of the royal psalms, it's a royal wedding psalm, Chagor Charbacha Al Yerech Kibor. Lash your sword onto the thigh of the, of the brave man. In other words, the thigh is the place of the weapon. Okay? Now, that will explain this pasuk about Yaakov and the angel. When Yaakov's wrestling, what does the angel do? He's trying to beat him. So what does the angel reach for? 
He reaches for his weapon. And that's why he grabs his thigh. And he pulls the thigh and lames Yaakov. Perhaps he finds that there is no weapon there. But the thigh represents your power to fight. And so that's why that's critical in this story. It's not just to lame him so he can't walk, although the famous Rashbam, but it's he's going for his weapon. Okay. Now, last piece. We do have a ceremony in the Torah. We're familiar with it because we borrow its term even today. Where in order to invest somebody with a particular kind of power, there's a physical contact between the empowerer and the empoweree. When Hashem says to Moshe, it's time for you to die. Moshe insists that God appoint a successor who will take over before Moshe dies. Meaning a successor that Moshe will see in his lifetime. And he describes what his successor should be like. What does Hashem say to Moshe? Take Yoshua, he's a man with great spirit. Put your hand on his head. Right? And stand him up in front of Elazar, and you will command him in front of them, and you'll put your glory on him. In other words, by putting your hand on his head, you are transferring your power, your position, and your glory. And by the way, as we see at the very end of the Torah, your wisdom. Yoshua Minun is filled with wisdom because Moshe put his hand on it. That's smicha. And we borrow that term because after the third century, when we no longer had active smicha of Moshe's student, 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 putting his hand on the next generation to transfer it. So we now use the term smicha, but it doesn't really mean smicha. Now what's happening? When we want to empower a leader, we do it by transferring the power to his head. We put our hand, the hand on the head and I'm transferring my power, my wisdom, my experience to you because you are going to be a leader. Your leadership is forever till you die and I'm giving you all of my powers. However, what happens in our case? I'm not transferring my power to you. Yaakov doesn't become Yosef. Avram doesn't, be, the slave doesn't become Avram, I mean. Yosef doesn't become Yaakov. The slave is the slave. What's Avram empowering to do? He's empowering for one mission that involves walking and power. So instead of transferring the power to his head, he transfers his power to his hand from his thigh. You touch my thigh, and now this is a reverse smicha, because the hand is now the one getting the power. You put your hand on my thigh, meaning where I keep my weapon, and I'm transferring power to you I'm empowering you to act on my behalf. Now, an interesting thing is that both of the cases where it happens, Avram to the slave and Yaakov to Yosef, involve a journey, which, of course, only happens when you walk, and there's the thigh. And they both will encounter confrontation. Yaakov is going to be brought back to Canaan, which he abandoned for the famine 17 years earlier. And now, in a foreign city of Hebron, there's going to be an attempt in Chazal to build a big midrash about the confrontation that happens there. Esav shows up and he wants that spot, etc. There's going to be a confrontation. You're going to, I'm sending my slave up north to confront these people because you're going to want to bring the girl back here. They're not going to want that. 
And so what he says is, put your hand where my power is. I'm giving you power, power of the journey and power of the confrontation for one task. And therefore, unlike smicha, which is permanent, unlike smicha, which is all-encompassing, unlike smicha, which is for wisdom and experience, but rather this is a one particular case for power. Therefore, it's a reverse smicha, simna tachet yerechi. And I think that may be what's going on in both of these cases. And hopefully it gives us a little better insight also into the angel reaching for Yaakov's thigh when he's wrestling with him. Wow. Oh.